Father, make known to us the wondrous mystery of Christ. Please, God, open our eyes to see him. Open our ears to hear his voice. We are the sheep of his pasture. We want to be led by our great shepherd, Christ. So please now, Lord, as we hear from your word, make him lead us. Make us behold wonders. Make us see Christ. So Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Job 28. Job chapter 28. Job's the book right before the book of Psalms, so that's kind of an easy way to find it. Job chapter 28, and this morning we're going to be considering one of life's most fundamental questions. What's that question? Well, in the midst of our broken world and our broken, broken lives, where is wisdom? Where is wisdom? In the midst of suffering, where is wisdom to understand? We long for answers to the questions like, who am I? Why am I here? Who is God? Why is there so much sorrow and pain in the world? Where is God? What's he doing? And how am I supposed to live in light of all of that? We long for wisdom. We hunger for the ability to discern and to know how everything fits together. We want to have wisdom. That is, we want to have a vantage point from which God, the world, and your experience makes sense. I want this. I want to understand things about my own life. I'm not looking for pity here, but I want to understand why I have ongoing digestive issues. I know this might sound petty, but I want to understand why someone can enjoy a slice of pizza, and when I have it, though, it makes my gut feel like it's in knots. I want to know why, despite being a Christian for many years, I still struggle greatly with self-focused thinking and self-serving lifestyle. Beyond that, I want to know why Sarah and I have had three healthy and complete pregnancies, while others have only experienced miscarriages. I want to understand why some marriages, especially those of strong Christians, find themselves hanging on only by a thread. In a more global sense, yes, I want to understand the pandemic. We all do. I want to know all the reasons why God chose to allow this. And in wisdom, I want to be able to counsel my family and friends and even you uh, regarding what God is doing. But in those things and in, in all the questions of life, we often don't get the answers we want. The wisdom to understand appears to remain hidden. This is the struggle we find in the book of Job. In the midst of what looks like unjust suffering, wisdom and understanding seem hidden. You see, Job was a righteous man whom God allowed to be greatly afflicted. The majority of the book of Job is dedicated to Job and his friends engaging in a lengthy debate back and forth, back and forth, about why he suffers and what he should do about it. They all buy into the idea. Even Job buys into the idea 
that Job runs, sorry, that God runs the world according to a very strict principle of justice, that those who do good are to be rewarded and those who do evil are to be punished. And yet Job didn't do anything to deserve his suffering. So what's going on? Where's the answer for those who suffer and don't deserve it? Where's the answer for our world? If we believe that God runs the world strictly by justice, the questions we would be asking would sound like this. Who sinned so that the world deserved the coronavirus? Who sinned to cause that divorce? Who sinned to bring about the miscarriage? But that's not the right question because that's not how God runs the world. The universe doesn't work merely on the principle of justice. If it did, we'd all be dead and the universe would implode. So, where is wisdom? Where do we find this hidden understanding that makes sense of the world, of God, and our broken experiences? Well, Job chapter 28. Job 28 is the beginning of the answer to our problem. It's a slap in the face to Job and his friends in their confident debates about justice, and it's a slap in our face regarding the many ways that we are wise in our own eyes and we think we have the ability to understand God's ways. So let's take a look at the wisdom of Job 28, beginning first in verses 1 through 11. First, understanding the wisdom of men. Verse 1, surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out to the farthest limit the ore in gloom and deep darkness. He opens shafts in a valley away from where anyone lives. They are forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air far away from mankind. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, out of it comes bread. But underneath it is turned up as by fire. Its stones are the place of sapphires, and it has dust of gold. That path no bird of prey knows, and the falcon's eye has not seen it. The proud beasts have not trodden it. The lion has not passed over it. Man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks and his eyes see every precious thing. He dams up the streams so that they do not trickle. And the thing that is hidden, he brings out to light. The thing that is hidden, man brings out to light. Behold, this is the glory of the wisdom of man. So here, verses 1 through 11, this is an illustration, treasure hunting and digging out mines are illustrations of the wisdom of man. You see, mankind has a remarkable ability to understand things in this world. We have the ability to see hidden things, find a way to them, and then unearth them. Our eyes are so keen 
that it's as if we can see straight through the rigid surface of a mountain and know the treasures that are hidden deep within it. Not, not only can we perceive them, but we can get in the mountain and then dig them out. Verse 7, the falcon with its superior eyesight to mankind, the falcon doesn't see or comprehend the gold and silver hidden in a mountain. Verse 8, the lion in all his might is unable to excavate a path into the rock in order to take hold of precious gems. But we, mankind, we are different. Look at verse 3, man puts an end to darkness Verse 4, he opens shafts. Verse 9, get this, man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. It's like we just pick up a mountain and turn it over and dig out what we want. Verse 10, he cuts out channels in the rocks. Verse 11, he dams up the streams. And friends, our understanding isn't limited just to finding hidden treasures in the earth. Think about all the ways we can find hidden things and bring them to light. We can find hidden things in our bodies. A doctor takes a sample from inside your nose and can tell you whether you have a virus, a virus that's smaller than the size of a human cell. We can find that out. A good coach or a teacher can perceive hidden potential in a student. He can even draw it out of them and bring it into fruition. Astronomers and engineers can design telescopes that bring us images of galaxies upon galaxies that are hidden deep in the recesses of space. Like I said, this wisdom, the wisdom of man to see hidden things, it's glorious, it's amazing, but it's limited. Our perception is limited. And that's not something that we want to submit to. We fight against it. We think that, well, if we just had enough time, then we'll understand. Or if we just talk through the issue enough, if we get enough research, then we'll be able to figure it out. But I hope you know that's wishful thinking at its best and arrogance at its worst. And that's the issue in the debate between Job and his friends. You see, they're convinced, just like man, well, we've got what it takes to understand what God's doing in Job's suffering, but they never arrive at the truth. They never find answers to Job's problem because the issue is they don't need answers and explanations. They need wisdom. So, the search for wisdom continues. Verse 12. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. And the sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in the precious onyx or sapphire, 
Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Yes, there is a wisdom of man. Our understanding and perception of things has a dim glory to it. But there is a greater wisdom, true wisdom, that far surpasses it in glory. This wisdom is something that we do not know. We don't have a clue about where to find it. You can search far and wide across the earth and you're not going to find it. It's not in the land of the living. Go as deep as you can into the earth and the sea and you won't comprehend it. And you can't put a price on the value of this hidden wisdom, we again don't have a clue about how valuable it is. It's so far beyond the value of what we count precious, gold, silver, pearls, and gems. It is taxing to me, this is taxing that we are unable to find the path to wisdom. Oh, we try. Just like Job, we end up in many debates. We sit around proposing all sorts of reasons for why things are the way they are. How many of us, by raise of hands, how many of us have come to the conclusion that they understand the pandemic? We talk very confidently about this at times. We have a confidence that we can explain the political, economic, and social things taking place in our world. But do we get it right? Likely not. Usually you wake up the next day and your thinking's broken. Maybe the story on the news the next morning shatters your wise understanding of how this is taking place, when it will end, why God did all of this. We also think that we can understand emotional suffering and physical suffering in ourselves or in others. But do we get it right? Not usually. Oftentimes, you wake up the next day and the pain isn't gone, sometimes it's increased. And then your great understanding of suffering doesn't satisfy anymore. We so often treat true wisdom as something that is easily obtained. Oh, for myself, how many times I have consulted Dr. Google, feeling confident that a quick internet search will tell me what's wrong with my gut, why it's such a mess. And when I have spiritual trials, I'm convinced that if I read enough blogs and enough books, then I'll be set on the path of understanding. But that's not always the case. Dr. Google fails me most times, and those blogs and books that I read can sometimes lead me to find deeper issues in my heart, new spiritual trials that overwhelm me further, and my understanding is lost. Our efforts to find wisdom show us how much we need it, and yet our efforts to find wisdom and understanding reveal to us how truly hidden it is. Where is wisdom? Verse 20, from where then does wisdom come, and where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living. 
and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we've heard a rumor of it with our ears. No creature can find the place of understanding. You won't find it in the land of the living. If you're a bird, you're way up high in the sky. You can't look down and seek it out. Go to the place of the dead. You're not going to find it there either. And that pretty much rules out everywhere you can go and look for it. Therefore, true wisdom is not something to be found. Rather, it must come to you. Do you see the contrast between verse 12 and verse 20? Verse 12, where shall wisdom be found? Now look as, as the thought experiment continues, goes to verse 20, okay? Where shall it be found? Well, you can't find it anywhere, okay? Verse 20, from where then does wisdom come? Do you see how the question changes? Wisdom is something that must come to you. If you want to have a vantage point from which to make sense of life and everything, if you're going to have it, it must come to you. It must be given. Verse 23, some relief starts to develop. God, God understands the way to it. God can find it. And he knows its place. He looks to the ends of the earth and he sees everything under the heavens. You see that? That's just like the minor illustration earlier, right? Like us, wisdom of man, the minor. He can look deep into the mountain and see hidden treasures. Well, God, verse 24, he can look deep into creation and he sees wisdom. Verse 25, we're moving on. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for lightning of thunder, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. Creation gets brought into the picture. So why? Why does creation get brought into the picture of this search for wisdom? Because in creation, God brought things into order. There is a coherence in creation by God's design. God understands the wind, the rivers, the deep seas, and the might of a thunderstorm. These great forces of nature that can often seem unruly and out of control, lacking any sense, those are perfectly known to God. He established them and he understands how they make sense in his creation. Wisdom is not mere knowledge. It's not just knowing facts and figures. Right? Meteorologists can tell us about wind, rivers, deep seas, thunderstorms. On the news, though, do they ever answer the question, why did the tornado hit that house and not that one? Or, why did the tsunami have to just appear suddenly and kill hundreds of thousands of people? Only God can take all those facts and everything else happening in the universe and integrate them into a perspective that makes sense. God has wisdom to understand life, the world, and everything. God has a vantage point from which the chaos of natural disasters makes sense. And God, God knows how your experience of trial and suffering fits into the bigger picture of life. 
So what do we do? Are we allowed any of this wisdom? Do we get any of this understanding that God has? Well, God gives us a peculiar task in response to his wisdom. The chapter ends with this, verse 28. And God said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. I hope you're a little surprised by the conclusion of this chapter. It's interesting. God doesn't give us his wisdom, like import it into our minds. We couldn't handle that level of understanding. Nor are we given a path to follow and then we go out and find it because we'd undoubtedly lose our way. Rather, we are told the fear of the Lord is wisdom. Turning away from evil is understanding. Do you want wisdom? Then fear God and forsake evil. But what does that mean? What does it mean to fear the Lord? Now, it might not be what you think. Yes, yes, in the Bible, the word fear is used sometimes to refer to dread or terror or being so afraid that you draw back in fear. But God is not putting on a power show here to make us draw back from him. Rather, he wants us to draw near to him. When he says, turn away from evil, what he's saying is, stop putting your confidence in the wisdom of man. Stop depending on the wisdom of the world or the wisdom in your own mind to make sense of things. Forsake all of that. And when he says, fear me, God is saying, stop thinking so highly of yourself and think highly of me. Stop regarding yourself as so great and start taking me seriously. So yes, fearing the Lord recognizes God's great power. But its substance, the substance of the fear of the Lord is trust. Trust in the Lord. You can see this in Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 7. Listen to this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Do you see? It sounds just like the poem that we read in Job. The evil that we're supposed to turn away from is being wise in our own eyes, leaning on our own understanding. That's the wisdom of men. It's going to fail you. But there's another option. Fear the Lord. Right? He says, trust in the Lord. Acknowledge me. Fear me. That's the option we should choose. That is wisdom. That is understanding. And this is what we do with our kids all the time, right? We train them to rely on us and our experience and our understanding of the world, right? We understand things far, more, far, far better than our children do. So when they're young, we tell them, trust us, listen to us, lean on us, follow me. 
Now with God, though, you might be thinking, this isn't as easy as trusting my parents. I can't see God. I can't see him. Where is he that I might trust him? It may seem like God is out of reach and out of sight, especially when you're suffering, especially when you're in a trial, especially when those questions, they just play through your mind. What is going on? What is happening? But to trust in God is not wishful thinking or blind hope. No. God has made himself known that he might be trusted. And the wisdom of God is hidden in plain sight. God has lifted up an enduring monument before the eyes of the world and he calls us to forsake the wisdom of men, to come to him, to trust him, and therefore find the wisdom of God. So where do we see him? Where is God that we might trust him? Well, I'm going to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it's, it's going to sound a lot like Job. Same questions, right? So whether you're in the Old Testament, thousand years, couple thousand years before the time of Jesus, or after the time of Jesus, the same questions are playing through the, the, the minds of men. We want to find wisdom. Where is wisdom? How do we find this? Where do we find God that we might trust him? So the Apostle Paul picks this up in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 to 24. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, right? Just like the book of Job, we we don't find our way to him. Since in God's wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So, friends, behold, Christ crucified, the wisdom of God. The relief to the tension of the book of Job is revealed in the bloodied Lord upon a Roman cross. The wisdom that we so, so long for, like it said, hidden from all the eyes of the living. God displayed in plain sight atop the hill of Golgotha. The cross is not the path to wisdom. The cross is not merely an example of wisdom. No, Christ crucified is the wisdom of God. You see, there were great expectations for who the Christ would be, who the Savior King of Israel would be. The Jews thought that he would be a king who would come in with great glory and strength. They expected a savior who would decisively overthrow the Roman enemy. And they expected the Christ to bring about a restored and everlasting kingdom. That's the kind of Christ 
that the wisdom of man would lead us to expect. We are those, those who hope in politicians with boldness and strength. We look up to the CEOs with grand visions and great confidence. The social media influencers that we give our ears to are the ones who put on a good show and appeal to our appetites. In man's eyes, Christ crucified is foolishness. But the cross, in the wisdom of God, completely overturns our wisdom and our understanding and makes the wisdom of man folly. Yes, Christ was glorified, but his glory was in being lifted up and crucified for our sins. Yes, Christ came and was strong, but on the cross he showed God's strength is made perfect in weakness. Yes, Christ decisively overthrew the enemy, but Rome was not the enemy, and his conquering was not by the power of the sword. Rather, as the book of Hebrews says, through death, through death, not through the sword, through death he destroyed the one who has the power of death. Christ crucified is the triumph over the enemy of sin and death. And yes, Christ came to announce the kingdom, but it wasn't just a restoration of the kingdom of Israel, the earthly kingdom of Israel. That, that kingdom always failed. No, Christ crucified is the unveiling and the establishment of a new creation. That's wisdom. Christ crucified is the wisdom of God. Christ crucified is understanding and insight. Christ crucified is that vantage point from which God, the world, and your experience makes sense. Christ crucified is the discernment of God, his assessment of humanity, his relationship with them and, and all creation. Christ crucified is order and coherence in God's eyes. The cross makes sense of a holy God and a broken creation. The cross is understanding of God's love and justice and man's rebellion. Christ crucified is the answer to the struggle in the book of Job. Where is understanding? Where does wisdom come from? It's in the cross. In the cross, wisdom is revealed. Christ crucified is the fundamental principle that makes sense of all our great questions of wisdom. Who am I? Who is God? Why am I here? Why is anything here? Why is there so much suffering? How does this make sense? And here's the crazy thing. The cross is not necessarily an answer to these questions. Remember, it's not that we're necessarily looking for answers and explanations. What we need is wisdom. Rather, Christ crucified is the wisdom to live humbly, knowing you can't comprehend everything in the universe. The cross is strength to live faithfully despite explanation. Therefore, fear God and turn away from evil. Look to the cross and trust Christ crucified. Stop trusting in the wisdom of men. 
Stop thinking that you can achieve answers to all of life's complex questions. Stop believing that if you just debate a question, debate an issue long enough, you can arrive at a solution. Stop putting your faith in Dr. Google, in the unreliability of broadcast news, and even stop putting your faith in pastors or godly men and women. Don't put your trust in us. We're going to fail you. We're finite. We don't have all the understanding. We're very limited. All we can do as humans, as pastors, all we can do is deflect. We deflect to Christ. Therefore, put your faith in Christ crucified. Fear God. Take the cross of Christ seriously. Cast yourself wholly upon it. Your eyes may see the cross, might look on it and say, but how can that help me? How can that help me in my situation? That doesn't seem like that's going to help. How's the cross going to help me? Don't trust your eyes. Trust Christ. We walk by faith and not by sight. When we ask the questions, who am I? Why am I here? Why is life so challenging? How do I make sense of all this? We go looking for meaning, for answers, for reasons. But stop. Stop looking for meaning. Stop looking for answers. Stop looking for reasons. And first, look at the cross. You will not find what you are looking for in the land of the living God has hidden it in the cross of Christ. And yet, and yet, by God's grace, what is hidden is in plain sight for you to see and believe. Christ crucified is the wisdom of God. He overthrows the wisdom of man and makes it as nothing. Our way of thinking is crushed under the wisdom of the cross. And yet, out of the cross, out of our death in Christ, at the cross sprouts a new creation, a new life, true wisdom. So, by faith, make Christ crucified the foundation of your understanding. For there, in the cross, you will learn what is true life and true wisdom. The first will be last and the last will be first. You exist to serve and not to be served. Dying is living. Trials are counted as joy. Justice is satisfied. All things work together for good. Hope is sure. We no longer trust in the understanding of man. Stop putting your faith there. We no longer trust there. Because now we have the mind of Christ. So where is wisdom? Christ crucified. The wisdom of God. Would you pray with me? Thank you, God. Thank you for being wiser than us. Thank you for being merciful to us. Thank you for giving us Christ crucified. Thank you for setting him up as a plan before the foundations of the world. And thank you for 
your grace in putting us in Christ that we might have wisdom. Lord, save us from the arrogance that comes from the wisdom of man. Save us, Lord, from thinking that we have it all figured out and that we can tell one another that we know what's going on. Rather, Lord, make us rest in the cross. Make us spend more time at the foot of the cross to behold your wisdom and teach us through Christ what true wisdom is. Teach us, Lord. Oh, Lord, thank you for Jesus, his perfect life, his perfect death, his perfect submission to you. Thank you for the perfect wisdom that is hidden in him. Oh, all glory to your name. Amen.